Welcome, listeners, to the return of the Best There Never Was podcast. Connor, good to good to be back. We've had a bit of a um, bit of respite. I, I was away on a on a holiday, so that was uh, some of it. While we were away, and uh, big big moments in your life, actually. In my life. Yeah, preparing for your your new adventure. My new adventure to. Uh, Canada. Yeah, and a, and a big bout of happiness on your last day in a, in a place. <laughs> in an in a, in a organisation. In an uh, establishment. Yeah, well, yes, and uh, we'll move on from that subject. <laughs> and also, the, not only the return of the podcast, but the return of our special guest, one JC, Johnny Coakley. How are you, boys? How are you? I feel like th- this is almost now we should be calling him a recurring guest on the podcast. Yeah, yeah nice word, it's, yeah. It's like he's graduated. You know, on like sitcoms or something like that, when a guy comes in and he makes a couple of star turns and then the producers decide to keep him on for a while, so. Paul, Paul Rudd and Friends. Yes. Yes, exactly. A nice, nice comparison to have, thank you. You're happy enough with that. I was going yeah. to say Ellie McPherson, also from Friends, but we'll go with Paul Rudd. She's nice. Yeah, I think uh, Cokes would probably have the the funny man more than the body aspect. So, wow, wow, <laughs> on air as well. <laughs> Shots fired. It's on. It's on record. It's on unnecessary shots. Has a lot, has a lot happened in our time off. Well, I was right about Scotland and Ireland. You were, but I. We'll go, we'll go to, hold on, we'll get to rugby. We'll keep rugby for the last. Yes. And so was the big news was the, the Ranieri sacking. It was a big, it was a big story. It's a disgrace. It probably is not the biggest news that's happened since the end of this podcast, though. What was the biggest news? The, I can't gr- the greatest comeback in the history of uh, civilization. The New England Patriots. Have we not done one since then? No, we have not. Oh, wow. I tell you what, I would have hated to have fallen asleep and missed the greatest comeback of all time. I would have hated that now, to have gone to bed and missed this great sporting occasion. Wouldn't you now, lads? I um, did do that, and I must say, yeah, it was annoying, but at least I'm not a, a fan of either team. But uh, I couldn't believe it when I woke up. But I woke up to your messages, actually. And I was just in shock. I was like, how the hell have the Cheatriots done this? What have they done to cheat their way to another ring? Because they've obviously done something. And I, I mean, it, hasn't, it hasn't come out yet, but give it time. It will be something like they videoed someone or they shot Julio Jones with a tranquilizer at halftime. Something is bound to come out. Okay, once again, it's a curious pronunciation of the uh, the word Patriots. Again, I don't really understand. Uh, I know you moved over to London. Maybe that's why your accent is kind of morphing. But um, the Patriots... Can I, can I just say something, right? I had given up hope. When Brady had thrown the pick and I went to uh, 28-3... The, the, uh, do you know the? That's when we went to bed. Yeah, that's when I went to bed. Not, not together. Just <laughs> <laughs> people in the air. No, if he was the body, then I may have gone to bed. 
as I said. Um, so it, and and the real reason I went over to try and get to the get a tackle as well was was quite humorous just to see how unathletic he is. Uh, how dare you? Um, he's got. He was close to making that tackle. The only reason I had stayed up was I was too depressed to sleep. Um, you'd taken to drinking. I had taken a drink at that stage and had sat on the sofa and I had talked myself into if they came out after half time, made a stop, then went down the field to score, it was game on. Neither of those things happened. Uh, so I sat on the sofa and then slowly it happened. And every time they scored, I would try and use my calculator because I'm not good at maths, especially not when I've um, listening to the song Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. <laughs> Uh, and I was trying to work out exactly what it would take, but unbelievable comeback. I may have run around this house uh, screaming at five o'clock in the morning, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> that may have happened. I think there must be some inner pa- patriotism in me, Connor, as I woke up at bizarre time and I checked my phone because there was a message there saying, are you still watching? Yeah. And I- Surely not. And the the Pats were on the final their fi- the final touchdown in normal time. They were about forty eight. So I watched it from there in. So I think next year I might have to start following the Pats. It's it's the only logical conclusion. I mean it, they are they are winners. But my whole thing there when they were driving for just at the end of normal time there was please God, don't let them score and then miss the two point conversion because that would be too too much to bear for me. That would have been so anticlimactic, so sickening. I I would have been haunted. <laughs> I like, must say, I woke up extremely happy because I had I had backed Mister Brady and I was cursing him as I went to bed. Well, I had mentioned on this podcast that I thought the Patriots would win comfortably, and really, if you take the first two and a quarter quarters out of it, they did <laughs> win comfortably in the end. It was. It was a comfortable victory. It was still more than six, so I know it was more than it was more than the spread, more five the spread. or whatever. Yeah, it was more than the spread. So um, I was, it was very comfortable in the end. They just tried to make it exciting. Comfortable. It, it was, it was sensational as a comeback. I, I did, I watched it all the next morning, and it was just, as you said, it, it actually was like a really slow comeback. Oh, but like when when they scored and then they missed the extra point and then they would have had to go for two touchdowns with two two point conversions. Like, what are the yeah. chances? What what an idiot missing that. He well he had he did that against Denver last year in the AFC <laughs> Championship game and they scored again. They scored, but they missed a two point conversion. Yeah. Uh, when Gronkowski was wide open, but he went elsewhere. Uh, so yeah. Greatest comeback in the history of civilization. I don't think that's a pop at your man there. What? Are you having a pop at your man there? No, I'm just saying Gronk was open. Okay. I'm just saying he could possibly have six rings, but um, <laughs> but he'll get that later on. Uh, he'll get that next year, so it'll be grand. Yeah, well, I I can imagine what you were you were like watching it anyway. Oh, it was horrendous, and it was wonderful all at the same time. And yes, I'm not too proud of running around screaming, this is the greatest moment of my life. But it's not I'd far say, off. I'd say the family weren't too happy either. No. No, they talked back and thought, mm, 
having Connor was not the greatest moment of our lives. If it led to this <laughs> sadness that was unfolding, but hey, what can you do? Uh, well, there we go. Uh, well, that yeah, that was pretty huge. It was pretty big. Um, but we're we're halfway. We're going to go on to Six Nations now. Um, well, actually, the, the other thing that um, Mr. JC mentioned to me the, the other day is obviously there's there's a massive massive boxing event tomorrow, um, and what has totally gone uh, under the radar is that Katie Taylor happens to be fighting on the card also, and it may be going into uh, Coxes and your I think you were the same of your. Um, your prediction of her career as a professional. Although, if she puts on a performance in this one, that could be huge because it'd be by far and away, obviously, her biggest audience yet that she's going to have watching yeah. her. Yeah, but let's be key, clear here. By performance, you mean she needs to knock somebody out. Yes, and she has to do it early. Yes. Yeah, and because and actually she has a better opportunity because it was a late. She's got a late opponent change, so she should have a much better opportunity of doing that. But yeah, absolutely, she has to go and knock someone out and do it within the first within the first three. Yeah, I don't see that happening. I think she's going to go the distance if Again. if she wins. Mm. But. But it's interesting that it's gone totally under the radar, isn't it? Yeah, well, you see, the key. this is the perfect example of what the Katie Taylor problem is, right? The people who are getting the high, the um, all the attention are Bellew and Hay for talking absolute shit to each other at press conferences. Yep. Right? This is, like, this fight is completely manufactured just on the two boys' ability to talk shit. Yeah, well, because when you look at it realistically, it's pro- it's probably a. F- now I'm not I'm not saying Hay is going to batter him or anything, but if you look at it on paper, you go, holy hell, that's a mismatch. Yeah, and we're talking about David Hay, who's what thirty nine. Yeah, who was retired, who came back off the sofa. Well, he hasn't fought in what five years, is it? Well, he he had his comeback fight there against. Oh, the- oh yeah, sorry, yeah. he hasn't had a good fight. In five years, he's fought two lads that might as well be like fighting ourselves here. Exactly. I mean, so what are people paying for, really? You, you either you're paying because you're bought into the hype, and you think the two lads hate each other, and all that kind of crap. But like, you wouldn't really pay for this fight if it was two guys going, "It's my best against your best, and let the best man win." Yeah. Which is the Katie Taylor hype strategy. And this is the problem. This card in a nutshell is the Katie Taylor problem. Like, nobody cares. Nobody's even even talking about it over here. It's not on people's radar whatsoever that Katie Taylor is fighting tomorrow night, isn't it? When time you tape this. Tomorrow, Saturday night. Nobody's talking about her. I couldn't even name her opponent. It's an Italian bird. That's all I know. Yeah, I just know it's Italian. She's Italian as well. But I, I agree with you, Connor. She has to knock out. She has to knock out early to gain any sort of 
Because then she's on the, the Joshua card and Joshua Klitschko card in Wembley. Yeah, but she, she absolutely start, has to start knocking people out. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is that if she doesn't if she doesn't do something here, she's just on that card as, oh, you're on the card, but she'll get totally swallowed up in how big that Joshua Klitschko fight is going to be. But at least if she does something special on Saturday night, she'll go, on, she'll go in with a bit of hype to that one. Now, obviously, it, that one's still going to be huge on its own right, but... <laughs> People will still at least be talking about it, going, oh, yeah, that's on it as well. I'm actually looking forward to seeing her. Yeah, but, like, she hasn't shown us anything so far that makes you think she's going to be, that you're willing to pay money to see. I don't think, she's never going to be, like, women's boxing, we spoke about this before, women's boxing is never going to be, like, the main event on a card. Well, that's the point, though, if about the, the Ronda Rousey comparison. Because that was said about them, but then a Ronda Rousey came along. But then, as as we've said, purely the reason why is because Ronda Rousey was beating people within 30 seconds. So you need to have that. But yeah, I agree with you. Unless, unless someone's doing that, then yeah, it's not happening. Yeah, and like, Rousey was charismatic as well. And Rousey wasn't the most likable person in the world in the sense of how she treated her opponents. But you you were paying because you were going to see destruction. And it was going yeah. to be quick. And, like, you were paying also that on the off chance that one day maybe she'd get caught like she did eventually. But, I mean, as I said, I said in the past here, like, nobody's really paying for the nuances of uh, Katie Taylor's boxing style. No, it's hard. It's a hard. It's hard to sell that she's got the best technical punch in women's boxing. Yeah, I mean that's a hard like, sell in, in men's boxing. Like, how do, you, how do you sell that? Whereas you said, like, here's Katie Taylor. She's knocking people out. She's got knockout power. Yeah, it would be great. It'd be great to see if she did start like kind of shit talking and whatnot. Yeah, she. Oh, I don't think it's in her character whatsoever. No. But I actually think they might need to match her up with an opponent who will shit talk to her. Yeah, that'd be very interesting, actually. And see if it draws it out. Draws it out of Katie. Yeah. I mean, she's got to fight, but I don't know. Like, but again, part of part of the problem here is I don't know of a charismatic female boxer. Who would you know? Who can talk trash and make it sell a fight? Like, no, I'm not. I'm not aware. There's probably of someone in America somewhere. There has to be. Somebody, uh, somebody daughter can... did that a bit, didn't she? What? Ali's daughter did that a bit. Yeah, but like she's what I'm talking about. Like you have to like to sell it. You kind of need like a saint and sinner kind of vibe. You've got clean cut Katie Taylor, and she does things the right way, and she's very quiet and humble. But, like, her opponent needs to be a real, like, kind of trash talker, kind of on the edge, kind of, like, you know, mind do things the right way all the time. That kind of contrast. Yeah, great. That's, that's like, how you would sell a Katie Taylor fight to me. Like, this complete, like, this, this idea of, like, a nice person versus an asshole. 
and yeah. the whole thing that like nice people finish last and all that. You could try and build it around like that. Something like that. Has to have some sort of gimmick to it. Some sort of edge to it. But she's not marketable. She's just And then she can and then she'll go full circle and go, Good girl gone bad after Yeah, and then Vince McMahon will come now. No. Too far. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be something like that, like because let's let's be honest here. Hey Bellew is pro wrestling. Yes. And they're gonna make money out of it. Yeah. Like I remember I went to the uh, web summit in Dublin two years ago and the promoter uh Turn, is it is it Barry Hearn? Eddie. Eddie Hearn, right? He was up on stage and he was talking about how their vision is to create, like, a boxing version of the WWE Network, right? He kept on referencing the WWE Network and, like, praising them for what they've done and this on-demand streaming service you could pay $9.99 for and you build events and you get people that subscribe to this streaming service and you build up characters and all that. So he understands that, like... Yeah, like, the, the biggest fight in British boxing in the past few years was... Groves versus Frotch 2. Yeah. And that was a complete mismatch, really. I mean, Groves got lucky in the first fight. He boxed the fight of his life. Which helped sell the second fight. But what really helped... But what really helped it was, like, the shit-talking in between. Yeah. So they've just taken that formula and given it to Hay and Bellew. And there's a good chance that maybe Hay and Bellew will do close to the number Joshua Klitschko does. That's well, it's an interesting one. Depending on the build-up of Joshua Klitschko. I, I, yeah, I think. I mean, I think Joshua should do more. Yeah, because he's a freak and it's a Klitschko. But like, if they both go in there and they're all like nicey nice and. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes and all this kind of stuff. It needs a bit of an edge to it. Yeah. I think it would be similar. I'd say Joshua's just because of what's on the line will probably be more. Like, as he said, it's just more reputation on the line tomorrow night with the two boys. Yeah, I like, but is it's crazy. I, I think, but I it's think cr- what they want to happen as well is for hate win. Then Joshua to win, and then make that fight. 100%. But, like, that's a total mismatch. That'd be a massacre. But they'll still make money out of it. It's all about... It's really all about money fights. Yeah. Like, that's... That's what the thing... It's about creating money fights, and what can they do? Like, and it's even crazy that we're... That I'm even saying that a Hey Bellew fight could do a similar number to Joshua Klitschko considering Joshua and Klitschko would be for like the heavyweight title of the world. But that tells you what a masterful job they've done with Hey Bellew. And you can't underestimate the effect of Sky Sports' promotion at times behind this. Like what a brilliant job they do also of getting people to buy that fight. Oh yeah. Well, shirts everywhere. You can't even change the channel without being told that the fight's on tomorrow. Yeah, and then they do those ringside specials, and then it's on Sky Sports News as like a twenty four seven infomercial for it. Like it's, you know, it's crazy. But she, like, again, our whole point here is like we just don't see Katie Taylor being able to 
do what's necessary to sell a fight. And really, when it comes to professional boxing, that's that's the main issue here. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, then, on to the rugby. Yes. On to the rugby. So, yeah, your um, Scotland prediction was... Um, was spot on. I I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I remember being on the fence about it, so I wasn't surprised to see that come in. Um, I am surprised to see the way Scotland have been since that. Um, and it was quite an impressive victory against Wales. Um, so it was. Uh, what are the other things that have been surprising? England have been poor. England have been very poor. Very poor. They're <clears throat> they're not a Grand Slam winning team anyway, unless they dramatically change. In in my opinion, yeah. their back back row experiment hasn't really worked. Uh, they just look a bit flat. If it weren't for Elliot Daly and Jack Noel, it could be in a far deeper hole. Then, well, they're not in a hole at the minute, but they could be in a, a big deep hole. I think that I think they're very vulnerable here against the Scots. Yeah, but I I just don't know if Scotland have the firepower to beat them. Like Scotland couldn't go to France and beat them. It was an average to good France team. Yeah, and England will have England will not want Scotland to lift the triple crown in Twickenham. No, no, definitely not. But like, this is like this is Scotland's real, a real chance here for the Scots to do something. And like, what's interesting yeah. to me is, well, I... what's interesting to me is the Scots are currently ten to one to win the Six Nations Championship. Well, I said it, Andy. If Scotland beat uh, England, they have to be favourites. Yeah, like that's what I mean. Like, I can't get over the fact that they're currently ten to one. I mean, that is definitely worth a punt because what you're really betting on at that 10 to 1 price is them beating England and then they're playing the Italians on the last day. Well, they have, they'd have to beat uh, Italy by more than 50. That's if, if we beat England. Which I I think that's doable. I mean, like... If, if Scotland beat England, we'll beat England. That's the only thing. So it's whether... Whether... Scotland can can accumulate fifty, so they're fifty behind us, at, or they're forty three behind us at the minute. So they have to somewhere along the line pick up forty three, because you're giving us two wins, so we're going to be in two positives. Probably give us plus seven, say at the least. So they're going to have to get fifty between their win against England and the win against Italy. I mean, that's like Italy on the last day of the Six Nations. I mean. We're talking. I wouldn't surprise me. Like they have a real chance of doing something. You know, I, I think, yeah. Because I, I, really, I think we're going to beat Wales. And I think we're going to beat England. But I think they're going to be very close. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. So I, I think Ireland win the Six Nations, and that's not just because I'm from Ireland saying it, but I think. They, the way Wales have been playing, the, the more the biggest banana skin for Ireland is probably Wales in Cardiff. Yeah. Because if it came down to it, I'd back Eddie Jones. I'd back Eddie Jones. I'd back Joe Schmidt to win 
a one-off match against England for the Six Nations. No, I agree with you also. I, as, while we're speaking here, while you mentioned Eddie Jones, I thought his reaction to the Italy game was hilarious. It was very much showing your toys out the pram, wasn't it? I mean, like he came out there two weeks earlier after they had beaten Wales and said he was what they were going to take the Italians to the cleaners. And he seemed to be upset that the Italians didn't just roll over. Yeah. And accept that they were going to get demolished. He, he just uh, outsmarted. Completely outsmarted. And it clearly bothered him. Well, I think that match in itself could be England will England will wipe it under the carpet and they'll forget about it and they they won't talk about it now that it's more than a week old. But what it will have done it'll be it will be quite damaging for any Lions places for for a few of those English players. Oh, hundred percent. But I also think it tells you that like maybe England aren't the most mentally strong team either. That when it's put up to them. When they're put under a bit of pressure, yeah, that they could crumble. Mm, yeah, like when they're really tested, or where something surprises them, or it's not going their way, they the way they just assumed it was going to go. I mean, there was a lot of crying and bitching and moaning afterwards, and during the game. And it's interesting as well that Billy Vitapola is now back for Saracens when he was seemed like he was out for weeks upon weeks. I wonder if he been ushered back in quicker than he should have been based on the fact that England had been going quite poorly. I I definitely, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. I mean, they're, it's not, I don't think it's been the championship they thought it was going to be. I thought they, I genuinely think they thought they were going to coast their way through most of it until the game against us. Yeah. I think they probably looked at it and they thought, they would have another bonus point against either France or Wales. And they would have comfortably beaten both teams. Like, they could they could easily be one from three and that one would have been the game against Italy. Like France should have yeah, could have beaten them. Wales yeah. could have beaten them. That's the two tries towards the end in both matches. I mean Wales gifted them that winning try. Yeah. With some horrendous kicking. It was Dan Bigger, wasn't it? Was it bigger? No, no it wasn't bigger. Jonathan Davies. Yeah, just horrendous. It wasn't his finest moment. So, do, you think, do you think Joe Schmidt will... There's a lot of talk that Payne's playing 13 for Ulster tomorrow. Do you think he'll drop Ringrose next week? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, like... My main, my main issue with the Ireland team is the fullback. Yeah. I think he's had a very below average championship. And um, if they were going to make a change, I'd like to see a change there. But and what, who would you, what would you like to see that? Who would you like to go there? You see, I wouldn't mind seeing, I could see the case for Payne at 13 because Ringrose has been okay. He hasn't been sensational or anything like that. Oh, he was very good. He was very good in the last game, was he not? He's just like grand, like, but like. I thought he was very good in the last game. But I don't. For all Ringrose is grand at 13, Payne is grand at 13. Like, Payne will never. Payne is only in at 13 to be a defensive organiser. If we want Payne to do 
what Payne does best, he has to go in at 50. Yeah, well, do you see, this is... Like, that's where I'd like to see Payne, because, like, as much as I think Ring Ringrose is fine at 13, I don't think he's done enough to lose his place. Yeah. So I think it has to be Carney, because I think Carney's been, as I said, has had a poor championship, and um, his days as an international may be coming to an end. And what about Zebo? I I don't know. I don't think Zebo. I don't think Zebo. Um, how would I say this? I don't think he's. You can trust him a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought he had a quite a poor game when he went in at fifteen against France. He looked. Uh, he looked injured for the whole of that game. I agree that he looked poor, but he looked injured because I remember that camera focusing on him. Early, like very, very early on in the match, about like str- struggling with his left leg, and I just wondered that he just played played through it, and that he wasn't at a hundred percent. But he's been his Six Nations has been pretty poor, considering the form he was uh, bringing coming into it. Yeah, you you could argue by the way that the one fault Joe Schmidt has on, as a coach is he's loyal to a fault. To some players, mm. Carney, right. when he put Tommy Bow on the bench, I mean, their days are probably done, really. When, yeah, when when he when he's questioned, he seems to, he goes to the players who know his systems and know how he works. Yeah, rega- regardless of form. Yeah, the easy. It, it was quite like. Uh, in England, do it after they won the World. A few years after they won the World Cup, they're like, "Oh crap, what do we do?" And they just kept picking the same lads it, because it's it's tried and trusted. It's they know exactly what the coach wants, as opposed to picking, say, Adam Byrne for Leinster and bringing him in on a week's notice and trying to. He has to get used to working with Joe Schmidt, etc., etc. If you just put Tommy Bowen, in, Tommy Bowen knows exactly what Joe Schmidt wants. Whether he can do it is another question. Yeah, which leaves he can. Like from what I, from what you read, like playing a playing winger in Joe Schmidt's system is is not like playing winger in other people's systems. He like demands a lot of his wings, so there yeah. there is a learning period. If you were to believe everything that you read, like he he expects his wings to the way he expects his wings to play requires a period of learning. It's almost like, to go back to the Patriots for a second, the Patriots have a terrible record of drafting wide receivers. And people put that down to the fact that the playbook is so complex that there's a learning curve there of like a while for people to get used to. So maybe Schmidt feels like he can't do that in the Six Nations. But at the same time, I think... Like his loyalty does hurt us at times. Who would you say at the moment is your player of the tournament, Connor? Are we talking for us or in general? General. Player of the tournament. I'd like both, actually. Go answer both of those. Player of the tournament, though, is. Player tournament is tough. I'm just trying to. It'd be very easy to say someone like Hug, 
but then you think, was, has he actually been that good? Well, I was thinking Hogg, but like, he's got, why, he's got three tries, and two of them came against us when we were caught flat-footed. So, besides that opening game, what's he done? Yeah. Um, Stander would probably he slipped. Stander would probably have to put their hands up. Is is Camille Lopez? See a shout for it? Nah, not with France losing twice. No, they've been good though. But that that's that scrum half has been very good too. Sarah, Sarah, Saran, Saran, Sarah. I apologise for calling him Sarah. He does look like a Sarah. Well. <laughs> uh, like considering, as you said, like that they um they probably very well, they're very close to beating England. Yeah, it could be very different, but yeah, it's hard to get. Scotland sevens had a good tournament. Watson. Oh, uh, the again, there's been some good performances from guys on losing teams. Like your man Moriarty has been very good. You can make a, you can make an argument that our most important player in Six Nations uh, so far has been Johnny Sexton. For his one game, uh, because we're a completely different team when he plays. The trademark loop, loop around. The wrap around. Hendros actually had a very Hendros performance is going under the radar. He does an awful lot of work. I think yeah, we we've had all solid guys. I think Murray has been solid. I Murray actually was very good in the last game, but he's quite poor in the very first one. Yeah, I think. Um, I actually differ. I think I think Ringrose has been solid. He was good in that last one. Yeah, there's been no there's been no absolute standout though. <coughs> no, and there's no real uh, bolter who's put their hands up for the Lions tour as of yet. No. Uh, Elliot Daly possibly. His versatility. He can cover three positions, can kick goals from his own try line. He's got bags of pace when it's very, what New Zealand are going to be playing. He's a very clever footballer as well, isn't he? Yeah. He's probably the, the well, he's probably put his hand up the most. What What about the best out half in Europe there, Finn Russell? He has been very good, Finn Russell. Jeez. He has been very good. Good. Very good. Steered, steered Scotland to uh, a win against Ireland. I believe I believe Finn Russell steered. is the uh, reason Dan Carger retired from international rugby. He couldn't face the thought of facing such a such a talented out half there in Finn Russell. I would very I would say that is very true. Yeah. Because he's uh, brought them to a win against win against us, a uh, win against uh, Wales. Um, had that unfortunate mishap in Paris. Uh, unfortunate? Is that how we're describing that? Yeah. It was unfortunate. The best they'd have in Europe to shank a kick. The ball fell off. Like, what are you going to do? Idiot. Best oh, out- it's, it's not his fault the ball fell off. Yeah. Best out half in Europe, though. Hey, arguably. Definitely. He's, he has, he's been... He's been the best out half in this uh, this tournament. 
for his uh, for his work. Mm. Definitely has been. For his work. Well, because you're you're saying Sexton in the last game, or Connor saying Sexton in the last game. Sexton was very good, but Paddy Jackson was very good against Scotland, even though he lost. Still lost though. I so, don't. I don't. I don't think we're quite the same team when Paddy Jackson plays. And there was a lot of arguments over here that Paddy Jackson should have kept his place ahead of Sexton. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that argument. I Which must say, nonsense. If you've, got, if you've got a better player, like who is again, when he's when he's playing, when he's on form, and when he's fit, is the best ten in in Europe. Then he has to start. How could you not start him? I I just don't think Paddy Jackson fits in the system that Joe Schmidt wants Ireland to play in attack. Well, interestingly enough, it looks like Joe Carvey's day is a 10 and number now as well. Why? Well, he can't even get his place at 10 in Leinster anymore, so... He's played fullback now the past two weeks. Has he? So... Who's oh, Ruman Byrne? Yep. I think Carberry will turn into a fullback. I don't. I said it before. He's he wasn't. He's not a good ten. Or he hasn't proved himself as ten. We watched that documentary the other day. I don't know if you watched it, Connor. The five, three days or four days in November, whatever it was. I, I did indeed watch that. And they highlighted in on Carberry's kick again. It was literally the only thing I think he did in the whole match when he came on. That, I don't know how one thing has made someone. There was calls for it before the Six Nations that he was better than Jackson. Whether whether you think Jackson were a different team under Jackson or not, I still think he's streets ahead of Carberry. I, I, how would I? I really don't think Jackson fits the system. I'm all about. I think the way Schmidt wants to play, he needs an out half who's like Sexton in the sense of like, I think Sexton, you know, on the wraparound there, right? I think Sexton, it's like the option pass in American football, okay? He can either pass it or he can keep it and go himself. And I don't think Schmidt, like Jackson, has the skill set to quite pull that off. The, the decision making. Yeah, because like that's like basically those plays. That's like Sexton. Like you're going to decide what's going to happen here, right? They're not preset in the way like there's two options off it. I believe that's the case. I know um, proof that this is the case that there is like they call the wraparound and Sexton has two options which he can do from it, right? But I imagine just looking at how it unfolds that Sexton is trusted to make those decisions. Um, a bit like, again, as I said, like the the option pass in American football. I just don't think Jackson has the skill set to pull that off, and that's why I think they don't do the wraparound when Sexton's not there. And like the wraparound is a key part of who we are as an attacking team. And also we have to remember that Sexton plays, or what he does play, he plays week in, week out, and he plays with headshot and ring rows. There's a lot. If you get an understanding, Sexton has to get that pass back from someone on a wraparound. And if it's someone he plays a week in, week out, 
it's going to make his decisions a lot easier. Oh yeah, no, I I hundred percent get that. But like my my concern is is that when Sexton's out and you take that kind of play out of our out of our attacking threat, that we're very predictable in attack, and we haven't really developed a style without like an identity without Sexton. Yeah, yeah. And I and when I think about it, like to me. We either have to kind of adapt and think, right, we have to have a game plan when Johnny's in. Well, maybe we should look at some things we could do when Johnny's not there. Or, yes. you, get, or, or you put a 10 on the bench who's more who can play that style more so than Jackson. And you go, this is the way we're playing. We have a replacement here that can come in. Maybe not as effective as Johnny, but we can run still some of the same plays that we would do if Johnny was there. And I think maybe that is a failing of this Irish team. <clears throat> and that's why I say Sexton's so important. I mean, we're just we're just two different attacking teams without him. Well, yeah, we play two. We, we do play two different patterns. And I don't. And I think the one without him, maybe they can look at doing some more stuff. Like maybe now that Jackson is really improving as a ten. They should maybe trust them with more stuff, perhaps. You know, and kind of expand it a bit more and give them more decisions to make. Then, I don't know, it feels to me they just play very kind of conservatively when Sexton's not in the game. Yeah, there's, there's a, there is a bit of a lack of... Sexton does bring something, he brings a bit of flair. I think opposition, opposition respects Sexton a lot more as well. Yeah, okay. and, and like I and I think it's completely fair, given his injury profile for opposition teams, and given what we've seen when he's not in the game for opposition teams to target him. I mean, I much prefer to play against Paddy Jackson than Johnny Sexton, in the sense of I think we're much more predictable when he's out of the game. Mm. And I think that's why he's such a key player for for Ireland. Because it feels like the game plan revolves completely revolves around his decision making when he's out on the field. Well, put it this way: if we win the Six Nations and Johnny doesn't get injured, he will be fair of the tournament. Yeah, hundred percent. Hey, more Murray, our Finn Russell, the best Finn Russell. languishing, <laughs> languishing in fifteenth position. You won't because he's gonna he's gonna hoist a championship for Scotland. So you're saying you're saying Finn Russell starts in the first test against New Zealand then, yeah? Please God. If that happens, I'm so glad I'm gonna be on the other side of the world. <laughs> uh, actually Connor, if you've got a spare room over there, I'm gonna join <laughs> I do not want to watch that test much as that. That would be insufferable. Why? Just to hear your crowing about Finn Russell. I no, listen. I prefer Sexton starts, but I think Quinn Russell is a very, very, very good backup. Quinn uh, Russell won't be on the lines. Can we stop talking about it? He is going to be on the lines because George Ford has been muck. So therefore, it's going to be Sexton, Farrell, and my boy Finn. My boy Finn. And he's it's, he's a good bloody player. 
Yeah, but you said he was the best. In yeah, but, no, this is what I'm saying. I was saying when people were playing and you were picking, you were picking the um the the ten of of the of Europe at the time. He had a very 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 strong shout of being that ten. Now I know there was a the the chatter uh, definitely of the the home nations plus Ireland ones anyway. Now you you might uh, people would argue that Camille Lopez, but he was definitely that because Sexton wasn't playing, and he's better than Paddy Jackson. Um, he's been better than Dan Bigger. Um. He was definitely better than Ford, and Farrell was playing a lot of twelve or injured, so he was he was definitely that that person. I'm not commenting on this. No, <laughs> <sighs> no, no. Good no. player. He's a good player, yeah, but he's he's not. He he. What is it? He doesn't deserve the airtime he gets on this podcast. I feel. He's not even in my two, my top two fins. Oh, stop with your Baller or Baylor fin or whatever the hell that Finn last ba- name. Finn Baller and Huckleberry fin. <laughs> Far superior fins. So Connor, to round it off, yes, who wins the Six Nations and how? I think we win the Six Nations. And do we win it? Is there a bit of style or do we grind out two dirty wins in Cardiff and Dublin? I think we could. I'm a lot more optimistic about this Wales game. I think that's a very average Wales team. Put Finn Russell in there and it's not average. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. We'll be there to to cheer the boys on. I feel. I, I feel like we could score four tries. Yeah, but do we all like we do this thing and we do it against Scotland as well? Oh, that we like fucking up against Wales and Scotland, especially in Cardiff. Yeah, we really, really like fucking up against them. No, you see, I think we got our wake up call against Scotland. I think that Scotland, if that Scotland game was in like week two or three, I think we would have won the game. Yeah, I just think we were just. The, the hype was so much, like, it was predetermined. It was us in England. It was a coronation until that game in Dublin. We were just going to go out there, and we didn't really have to perform, and we've beaten Scotland, and they're only Scotland, and all this, and they just caught us in a first-half blitz. They just absolutely caught us, and we just gave ourselves too much to do. Yeah, that's fair enough. Whereas I don't think that's going to happen against Wales. Like, I just don't see anything about Wales. And really, if the weather was better in Dublin, I think maybe we could have scored more points on France also. Yeah, I agree. I, I think... Uh, and I presume they're going to close the roof in Cardiff. Hopefully, they better. Just uh, for us being there, and I want to hear the, the Welsh National Anthem. I'm sure they will, for TV purposes, close the roof. Cause Hopefully, because it's, uh, it's a Friday night as well. Yeah, so I, it's going to be closed roof. I just feel like, yeah, I feel like we could enjoy ourselves against Wales. I think yeah, if we can get the set piece stays the same, we go, we score, get an early try, then definitely I think there's a bonus point there for us. And I think Scotland and England is an arm wrestle for about seventy minutes, and then England pull away, which they've done so far in the tournament. 
But I feel yeah. like they're going to be, it's going to be a big physical encounter. Encounter. I think the Scots are going to be really fired up. Mm. Um, so and I, then you, you say we beat England then? Yeah, I think we beat England. And we win it on points difference? Yes. Because Italy and Conor O'Shea and their reluctance to lie down will have won us the Six Nations. It'd be great. It's a great story. And I hope it plays out that way. It's got a nice little ring to it, isn't it? Does Conor O'Shea <laughs> winning us the Six Nations? So, I yeah, that's how I see it playing out. Yeah, I'm. I think I think all bets are off though if England lose to Scotland. Yeah, uh, well, because the only, the only thing, and I can see, I agree with you. I can see in Murrayfield on the last day if they get a nice day, Scotland have a few good backs out there out, outside of Finn Russell. There's a few good backs who can run, who can run a muck. But I can also see Scotland leaking a few tries. And if you have to score 50 points, but then you let the opposition score 12, that means you don't have to score 62. And I, I can't see Scotland scoring that many. And it happened a few years ago. Remember when we did it against Italy? Yes, when and, we didn't, and, and we didn't kick the ball out. Yeah, when you go and... Well, we conceded like 19 that day yeah. or something. When you go and look for tries, things happen. Like There's intercepts. England did it as well against Italy uh, a few years back when George Ford threw an intercept. When you go looking for tries, you tend to leak a few. Yeah. And I, I think to get a margin of 50 against Italy for Scotland would be a tall ask. So my prediction is an Ireland Six Nations. Andrew? And points difference again. Oh, well, you know what I think. Finn Russell is going to lead the Scots to a Six Nations title. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't actually think that. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be upset with that happening as a second choice. But uh, I'm along. The, I'm the same lines as yourself of what I think will happen with Ireland winning it. Uh, before we go now, I just you said you watched that documentary. The what was it? Four days in November, five days in November, whatever it was, right? Yeah. The biggest thing that surprised me the most, and hopefully you can clear this up for me, is. What the hell is with Kieran Marmion's accent? We did actually. What is on. that? <laughs> what is that? Where is he from? I have no idea. Let me check here. <laughs> we gonna, did comment on that as well. I'm going to analyse that documentary like people analyse the JFK Zabruder film, right? Just to dissect where exactly Marmion is from. Because I've no idea. A, I've no idea what he said. And B, it looked like it hurt when he was speaking. <laughs> the way the words were coming out of his mouth, it looked like it hurt him to actually move his lips. He's from Greater London. What, what, what kind of accent is that? He's from London and went to university in Cardiff. And now he plays in Galway. So it's probably a mixture. Uh, but like, I, I just didn't understand it. You're saying it needed subtitles, basically. I needed subtitles, but I needed to know why he looked like he was in so much pain when he was speaking. If you look back at it, it like he barely, he's like he's talking through his teeth or something. It's fascinating to me. 
it obviously did fascinate you. You did, and I was like, if somehow I could get G Mac and Karen Marmion to have a conversation, <laughs> my mind would just blow. <laughs> it's a, we cover the important topics on this podcast. Always. Always. All right. And on that note. On that somber, sad note as we end. Yes. In good chat to Connor, I'm sure we'll Actually, pick up maybe the week before the final weekend to see if the dream of Finn Russell is still alive or if it is well and truly squashed. <laughs> and and a quick one to end actually as the uh, as your newfound nationality bring back one of their their greatest sports stars. Who now? GSP. Oh, GSP. And also, there is a phenomenal UFC fight card on tomorrow. A phenomenal fight card. But still, apparently the ticket sales are appalling. Where is this fight card tomorrow? Vegas. Mm-hmm. But the two, uh, like the, I cannot wait for the Habib and Ferguson fight. I cannot, I cannot wait for that fight. Where the winner doesn't actually get McGregor. Yeah, well, I, I can't wait until they're actually told that. They should tell him in the ring. They both think that that's payday. It'll be like that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa tells Ralph she doesn't like him after he gives her the Valentine's Day card. <laughs> you can pinpoint the exact moment where Habib's heart breaks when he finds out he's not getting the money fight against McGregor. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I think I'm going to be putting my money on Ferguson. Ferguson, last I saw, was 11 or 13 to 8. I think that is brilliant odds for Ferguson. So we're saying a Ferguson-Leicester double, are we? Uh, yeah, if Leicester are doing something, I couldn't Leicester. care about. We, we were talking about Leicester earlier on, and they're great odds. Oh, Leicester. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, you must be happy with GSP being back. I look, he- I look forward to GSP's return fight happening in the six. And did I see you're your now friends with the PM on Facebook? Uh, Justin Trudeau. I, yeah. I may have liked his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> In an act of uh, solidarity with my new leader. You're hoping to get a passport, are you? Uh, I was kind of hoping more he'd be like my wingman, to be honest with you. He is a cool PM. He is a cool uh, leader of state. Mr. Prime Minister, steal your girl, according to Twitter. <laughs> so He's not like a... He's not like having Enda Kenny as a. No, I when I when, state, I, when I decided I was going to move, I was like, well, mm, I'm st- it's Enda here. There's Trump in America. There's Theresa May. I was seduced by Trudeau. So yeah. I, <laughs> I look forward to that. Yes, I did like him on his page on Facebook. And a lot of people uh, amused that amused people for some strange reason. I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah, so GSP back. I wonder what's happening with Under Armour there and Reebok. I'm sure there's some sort of big payoff. I'm sure there's some sort of deal there. But and Bisping gets his big payday. He does, and he should win that fight, Bisping. Why? Because GSP is stepping up two weight classes. No, he's not. Yes, he is. One weight class. Two weight class. 
one way class. I read two way classes. Um, GSP when he retired was pretty much a welterweight. Uh, but the big money fight, of course, is McGregor GSP. There's a huge oh. stadium in Toronto that it, can accommodate that fight. By the way. Yeah, no, that uh, it's what we talked about before. Like realistically, in in the UFC, there's only two fights left for McGregor, and that's the Nate number three yeah. and GSP. Yeah, exactly. GSP McGregor in the Sky Dome in Toronto within the next two years would be absolutely ideal for me. <laughs> I said, you know, I was in a car. You were in the Sky Dome. I was. How is the Sky Dome? Nice, good. No, not the what? Not the capacity. It's about sixty odd, isn't it? Sixty odd. Yeah. I have, of course, um, I have not sorted out accommodation yet in Canada because that's not as important as I've pinpointed where the Red Sox are in town. So I have instead spent all my deposit money on accommodation on Red Sox tickets. So really, well, I'll be living in the Sky Dome for most of the next two years. Luckily, we don't have to get into that conversation because baseball is shit and neither of us could be bothered talking about it. How dare you? I look forward to the uh, baseball season preview we'll be doing. No. And when I move over there, I suppose we better do an ice hockey playoff preview. Ace, uh, uh, ice hockey, I'm, I'm very happy with. Well, that's all right. I, well, you can look forward to um, Canadian Football League talk on this podcast within the next two years, listeners. <laughs> Go Toronto Argonauts. And if anybody knows what an Argonaut is, uh, please email us in. (laughs) And let us know. But on that note, gentlemen. Uh, It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Connor. Thank you very much. Until next time. Hopefully Andrew won't take any more holidays so we can do this on a more... Frequent basis. Frequent basis, exactly. I won't promise anything. Okay. All right. See you then. Bye-bye.